This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a review lecture about anabolic steroid use and abuse in sports medicine by Dr. Scott Rand, who is the director of the Primary Care Sports Medicine Fellowship at Houston Methodist. Hello again, everyone. This is uh, Dr. Scott Rand. We're going to talk a little bit about anabolic steroids in sports medicine. What I want to talk about today are some of the historical facts regarding steroid and some of the supplements that are used uh, around the use of anabolic steroids. We'll discuss anabolic steroid use and its abuse. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the side effects and the dangers associated with uh, anabolic steroid use. And I'm going to try to give you a few places where you can go and get safe information and reliable information about steroid and supplement use. Ergogenic aids have been around forever. Uh, humans have always been trying to gain that little bit of an edge over their uh, opponents, if you will. Back in Roman gladiator times, the gladiators would cut the hearts out of their opponents after they killed them and eat them, believing that it would give them more power. In the early 20th century, boxers were known to take strychnine to make them better boxers and better able to take punishment. The Olympics has, has had its own uh, history of ergogenic aid use and abuse. The 1956 Russian boxing team won many of their medals after the team virtually all took testosterone supplements. Uh, in 1960, a Danish cyclist died of complications of amphetamine use during a race, and largely because of that, drug testing in the Olympics began in 1968. When you talk to your athletes about dietary supplements and about anabolic and ergogenic aids, Remember, all of them in their advertising claim to enhance performance. Why else would they exist, I guess? So what you want to try to get your athlete to do is ask, why does this work? Uh, what is the physiologic basis for how it improves performance? Are there really any scientific studies to support those claims? And are those, cl are those studies published in something other than Muscle and Fitness magazine? Are they peer-reviewed articles? And really, as importantly, you want to make sure that the studies were done on the population that applies. And we'll talk about that here in just a little while. You want to talk about the risks and the side effects. Talk about the drug interactions. Remember, many of our athletes will take other medicines for other reasons, and some of the supplements that they'll be in contact with will interact with or are contraindicated if they're taking certain other drugs. And then, unfortunately, most importantly, you want to know, is it legal in their sport? Uh, anabolic steroids are not legal to be taken in any sport. There are a couple of laws that are important to know and to be able to use to educate your athletes about uh, supplement and steroid use. The first one is the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. This law basically states that products that, la that are labeled as supplements don't have to prove that they're effective or safe, but they're really not permitted to market unsafe or ineffective products. Unfortunately, the FDA is in charge of proving that they're harmful, so until uh, these substances are shown to kill a number of people, uh, the FDA really has too much else to do uh, in order to investigate everything that's out there on the market. As long as the product has the disclaimer that says, it is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, the manufacturer can really say whatever they want and uh, it's up to the FDA to disprove it, and that just honestly doesn't happen. The second law that's important is the 2000, 2004 Anabolic Steroid Control Act. Basically, they defined anabolic steroids as any drug or hormonal substance chemically and phar pharmacologically related to testosterone, but, in, but excluding estrogens, progestins, corticosteroids, and DHEA. 
it's interesting to note that DHEA, which really is an anabolic steroid, or a cousin to an anabolic steroid, uh, was excluded because the largest manufacturer of DHEA in the United States happens to be in Utah. And Senator Orrin Hatch was the author of this act. So, what are steroids? When your athletes are talking about taking roids, what they're really talking about are testosterone esters, and the most common of these is testosterone cypionate, oral androgens, and the only one that's really out there like this, there may be a few other designer ones, but the one that's most commonly talked about is stenazolol, uh, and then parenteral designer steroids. Decadurabolon is the most commonly used one, or the commonly quoted one. They take them in cycles. Uh, someone who's going to abuse anabolic steroids takes it, takes it in a cycle. The cycles tend to be tw 6 to 12 weeks long, uh, and then they take 10 to 12 weeks off. Uh, during that cycle, they'll increase and taper their dose, and most of the time, if you're going to abuse steroids, you stack them, which means you take two or more different anabolic steroids together to minimize the androgenic side effects and to maximize the anabolic effects. Remember, the androgenic things are the acne, the hirsutism, testicular atrophy, those sort of things. The anabolic effects obviously are the muscle growth and strength increases. Uh, the stacking can be with oral or intramuscular injection, injected uh, steroids. How about the side effects? Gynecomastia is very commonly seen. The testosterone that they inject is converted into estradiol. The estradiol causes uh, breast hypertrophy. Some of the synthetic, synthetic testosterones don't convert to estrogen, so they don't have this side effect. And often they'll use some anti-estrogens to block this effect. Those are Arimidex or Tamoxifen, and you may remember these as uh, breast cancer chemotherapeutic agents. Testicular atrophy very commonly happens. Remember, this, the exogenous steroid suppresses normal steroid production and uh, decreases the output from the pituitary gland of luteinizing hormone. They'll often use HCG to prevent this. Uh, and sometimes you'll see endocrinologists or urologists give HCG to someone who's been a steroid abuser in the past to try to restore their fertility. Acne is very commonly uh, associated with steroid use and something you want to pay attention to, especially in your high school or college age uh, athlete who uh, may be abusing steroids. This can be one of the common things that you'll see. Accutane is used to treat that. Uh, now some of the other side effects include water retention, tendon rupture, and hair loss. The tendon rupture, we believe, happens because the muscles get significantly stronger very quickly, but the tendons really don't, so it's not unusual for the muscle to overpower uh, the tensile strength of the tendon. All right, in women, you can see facial hair, deepening of their voice, decreased breast size, certainly menstrual irregularities, and clitoral enlargement. Uh, sometimes enlargement of the voice box or larynx is also seen. So that is most of the steroid side effects you'll come up with and they'll show up on tests. But how about some of the other things that are associated with steroid use? Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of those that are often given or taken with uh, anabolic steroids. We'll talk a little bit about androstenedione, DHEA, some of the selective androgen receptor modulators or, or SARMs they're called. We'll talk briefly about human growth hormone and HCG. Okay, androstenedione is an androgen precursor. It has actually fairly weak anabolic activity, and the claims are that it mimics the effect of testosterone, and most of the sites will recommend a dose of 100 to 300 milligrams per day. Some athletes may ingest as much as 1,200 milligrams per day, and it is really very cheap. Okay? The facts are it really doesn't do that much at all. 30 healthy men took 300 milligrams per day in one study. There was no effect on testosterone. There was shown to be a little bit of an effect of in, an increase in testosterone glucuronide, which really is biologically inactive. 
there's no effect on resistance training, and it does really seem to increase estradiol levels. Uh, the risks to androstein dione use include decreased good cholesterol, or HDL, increased aggressiveness, uh, prostatic hypertrophy, heart disease, gynecomastia, and acne, most of the androgenic side effects. This was banned by the FDA in March of 2004. DHEA, remember this is the one that you can still get, it's a steroid that's secreted by the adrenal gland, the typical dose is 30 to 100 milligrams per day, and it is claimed to stabilize weight and enhance fat metabolism, lowers cholesterol, stabilizes blood glucose, and maximizes response to resistance training. This is often marketed to the type 2 diabetic, uh, and is marketed as a supplement to help control their blood sugar and help cure their diabetes. The facts are that most of the studies that are done on DHEA were done on honestly nursing home patients. Uh, in women it impairs glucose tolerance, decreases insulin sensitivity, and lowers uh, high density lipoproteins. It seemed to be ineffective in maximizing resistance training. There was no change in testosterone levels with doses up to 150 milligrams per day. It still has mild androgenic uh, side effects including facial hair in females and some hepatomegaly. The newest player on the block that's only been around for a few years are the selective androgen receptor modulators. Uh, this is considered to be the next level of anabolic stimulation. Uh, if they can find a drug that stimulates only the muscle hypertrophy receptors and stays away from the rest of the bad things, then uh, obviously that'll be the ideal thing to have. It was banned by WADA in 2009. It's also been banned by Major League Baseball. Andarine is the first one that I was able to find out there. It's relatively expensive uh, and it is found on mass spectrometry when doing drug testing. So it is illegal that those are things that are out there, and certainly more of them are bound to come. Human growth hormone is also used. It increases bone and muscle mass through production of insulin-like growth factor. Uh, it increases muscle volume and lean body mass, but there's really no increase in strength seen with it in, in the controlled studies that have been done. Acromegaly is probably the most common side effect that you see from it. Remember Andre the Giant back from my younger days uh, was a uh, professional wrestler who was obviously acromegalic. Most of the time people that are abusing growth hormone uh, will use recombinant growth hormone and remember if they use cadaveric growth hormone it can spread Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease if you remember that from your sophomore medical school pathology class. Okay the risk to HGH is that it activates the renin angiotensin system and leading to fluid retention, joint aches, carpal tunnel syndrome and pseudotumor cerebri. There's a significant increase in cardiovascular mortality with abuse. There's an increased risk in breast and colon cancer. And there's a risk of in insulin resistance and diabetes with its use. Next is HCG. This ought to be fairly benign. It stimulates the Leydig cells to produce testosterone and helps maintain the normal testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. Remember, this is one of the things that's tested for when athletes are drug tested. It may make them harder to detect that supplementation, and often if you find someone who's abusing steroids and HCG and they're found out, they may worry that they have testicular cancer. So how do you approach this? What do you talk to the athlete about, and how do you try to keep them from hurting themselves? In general, we recommend that people be non-judgmental. If the substance that they're taking isn't dangerous and they think that it works, it really is probably fine. Most of these things are pretty benign. Not necessarily the anabolic steroids, the other things we've discussed here, but most of the other supplements out there that they'll want to take are fine. You want to educate them about the risks associated with it and really pay attention if they compete at a level that does drug testing because something that may seem very benign, high levels of caffeine, some decongestants, an inhaler, those sort of things can show up as banned substances. You want to teach them to read the labels and explain that the advertising restrictions, or really lack thereof, is 
a big driver of this. The packaging and the advertising specifically works to honestly deceive uh, the consumer. Really, the only way to prevent steroid abuse has been shown is through testing and penalty for use. Remember, the difference between the really good athlete and the great athlete uh, is very small, but the rewards are very large. And the only way you're going to keep people from succumbing to human nature, if you will, is to make the penalty for it large enough that they're not going to do it. So where do you go for information? Uh, there's a website called drugfreesport.com that really has good information. You can log into that uh, for the user NCAA using a password NCAA 1, 2, or 3, and that'll give you access to a broad range of substances that you can just put in and find out if there are any banned substances in there. Uh, the British Journal of Sports Medicine has also published uh, a large supplement series on supplements, sport nutrition, and ergogenic aids. Uh, this is a great place also to get uh, good information uh, that really seems to be very reliable and very unbiased. So in summary, the anabolic steroid use is common and dangerous. The constant debridge of advertising that athletes are, are subject to makes our job of limiting use really more difficult. Antiestrogens and HCG are used to treat side effects and sometimes to help mask the use of anabolic steroids. And as sports medicine physicians, our job is to educate and advise. We're not policemen. It's not our job to uh, make sure they're not doing things. Our job is to support our athletes and keep them healthy. That's all for this review lecture. Hopefully that was helpful. We'll have a link to the video version of this lecture in the show notes for anyone who is interested. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.